Welcome to Sabbath School, brought to you by It Is Written. We're glad that you could join us again this week as we continue our journey through the book of Revelation, especially looking at the three angels' messages. This is week number 12 of 13, so that means we've got one more week to cap everything off. But this week is a big one. We are looking at the seal of God and the mark of the beast, part two, kind of picking up from where we left off last week. Our guest this week again is Pastor Mark Finley. He's an international speaker and evangelist. We're delighted to have him back once again. But before we look into this subject and get his thoughts on it, we are going to spend a moment in prayer. So join me if you would. Father, thank you so much for being with us along this journey as we've looked at the three angels' messages of Revelation as we spend some time looking at another significant portion of that today, the seal of God and the mark of the beast, help us to understand it and to understand how it applies to us today in a very real way. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Pastor Mark, welcome back once again. Thank you. So last week we left off on an interesting subject. Uh, Interesting is probably not even as broad an adjective as I could use. But the seal of God and the mark of the beast, we looked at the identity of the beast power, the Antichrist, as it's often referred. We kind of dropped off the end there. And this week, we pick up on the seal of God and the mark of the beast, part number two. Now, when we talk about the identity of the beast or the identity of the Antichrist, a lot of times people get this idea that it's uh, some world leader, some secular power or or individually, a dictator, if you will, How do we know that the beast power is not some sort of a secular leader or power or dictator or something along those lines? I think one of the ways we know the answer to that question is by looking at Revelation 13 itself. Last week, we pointed out that Revelation 13 talks about the beast power rising after Babylon, after Medo-Persia, after Greece, after Rome and that it would get its authority from pagan Rome. So we have to look back at the historical nature of the rise of the beast. So the beast rises not simply at end time, but the beast power is a power that has been present historically through history, and it rises out of pagan Rome, and we saw that papal Rome did. Secondly, the beast power in the book of Revelation is a power that the Bible says is a blasphemous power. And the Bible defines blasphemy as one claiming the authority or privileges or prerogatives as God's equal and one in addition to that claiming the authority and the ability to forgive sin. So we see that it's a religious power. But there is a third identifying mark that I think comes to the very heart of your question. It's found in Revelation chapter 13, and it's found in verse 4. Revelation 13, verse 4. And would you like to read that, Pastor Eric? Sure. It says, So they worship the dragon who gave authority to the beast, and they worship the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? So whoever this beast power is, is, the beast power is one that compels worship. So you have to have a worshiping power. This is not some business person that rises. Mm. I will not name any who have been suggested (laughs) because I don't want to put any ideas in people's heads. But uh, it's not some 
business leader that rises. It's not some political leader that rises. It's a power that grew out of Rome. It's a system, not an individual. So just like, for example, in Daniel, where it talks about the lion, the bear, the leopard, the dragon. In Daniel 7, verse 17, it says, these beasts which are four are four kings or kingdoms that arise out of the earth. So Babylon was not simply Nebuchadnezzar. It was the kingdom of Babylon. Or the lion was not simply Nebuchadnezzar. It was the kingdom of Babylon. The bear wasn't Cyrus or Darius. It was the kingdom of Medo-Persia. The leopard wasn't Alexander. It was the kingdom of Greece. And the same with the Rome. Uh, you know, it's, it's not simply a Herod or a Caesar. It is rather the kingdom. So this is talking about a system that would grow out of Rome, a system of religious worship, a system of a leader that would claim the authority of God. So we can know that. Also, there's some interesting mathematical proof about the duration of its reign. So, so talk a little bit about that mathematical proof. Where do we find that? And uh, I'm looking here at, at verse number five. It says it was given authority for 42 months. I'm guessing that might be part of the mathematical uh, element of this, but uh, un- unlock, unpack a little bit more of that, that mathematical element. So the authority of 42 months. Now remember, in Bible prophecy, one prophetic day equals one literal year. When you look, for example, at um, the prophecies in Daniel that talk about this same power, you have the Antichrist mentioned in Thessalonians by Paul. You have the little horn power mentioned by Daniel. You have the beast power mentioned by Revelation, but the identification, identifying marks of these powers are all the same. So let's go back to Daniel chapter 7 and verse 25. Daniel 7 verse 25. We've read 42 months. We're going to go to two or three other Bible passages, and we'll go to Daniel 7 verse 25. And uh, go ahead and read those, Pastor. Sure. Daniel 7.25 says, He shall speak pompous words against the Most High, shall persecute the saints of the Most High, and shall intend to change times and law. Then the saints shall be given into his hand for a time and times and half a time. Notice this power would intend to think that they had the ability to change times and law. Well, the only law that has to do with time is the Sabbath commandment. And if the central issue in the book of Revelation and Daniel is worship and who and how do you worship, the Sabbath commandment is the one that speaks of worship. If the central issue is one of authority, the Sabbath commandment gives you the authority for the whole law. It talks about who gave the law, the creator God, and and it talks about why we worship God and, and his title. We're going to look at that later when we talk about the seal of God. But notice here it says that that this power that would attempt to change the law of God would reign for a time, times, and half a time. 42 months, time, times, and half a time. What's all that about? Let's now go to Revelation chapter 12. This will bring things home to us. Revelation chapter 12. And we're going to look here at verse 6 and verse 14. Revelation 12, verse Six and verse 14. So go ahead and read verse 6 and 14. Verse 6 says, Then the woman fled into the wilderness, where she has a place prepared by God, that they should feed her there 1,260 days. Then over in verse 14 it says, 
But the woman was given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness to her place where she is nourished for a time and times and half a time from the presence of the serpent. 42 months, 1260 days, time, time, and half a time. In the Jewish calendar, there were 30 days in a month. So if you look at 30 times 42, it's 1260. Here you got 1260. Time, many translations say year, two years, half a year, three and a half prophetic years, 42 months, 1260 days. So if a, if a prophetic day equals a year, you've got 1260 years, 42 months, 1260 days, 1260 years. Babylon reigned, then Medo Persia, then Greece, then Rome. The Roman Empire fell apart from about 351 AD to 476 AD. By 538 AD, the papal power was the dominant power in Europe. The pagan Roman emperor, Justinian, gave to Vigilus II, the Pope of Rome, the civil and religious authority. So the 1260 years would have begun in 538. 1798, Berthier, the French general, looks down and he takes the Pope captive and brings the Pope into captivity. So the amazing thing is that mathematically the papal power fits into this prophecy remarkably. Let's look at these four identifying characteristics. The papal power receives its authority from pagan Rome. The papal power is a worldwide system of worship, Revelation 13:5. The papal power claims the authority of God to forgive sin. The papal power reigned for 1260 years. So here are some very clear historical facts that identify the papacy as a system of religious power that rises in Revelation chapter 13. Pastor Mark, you mentioned that in 1798, Napoleon's general Berthier took the pope into captivity. Here in the lesson on Sunday, you mentioned a deadly wound. How are these things related one to another? Sure. In Revelation chapter 13, if you let your eyes drop down to a couple passages in Revelation 13, verse 3, Revelation 13, 3, and I saw one of his heads as it had been mortally wounded, and his deadly wound was healed, and all the world marveled after the beast. So, uh, and then if you go down further to um, the uh, ninth verse, go ahead and pick up verse 9. Verse 9 says, If anyone has an ear, let him hear. He who leads into captivity shall go into captivity. He who kills with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. So, this deadly wound would occur. Napoleon is in the north. He's in France. He looks down to Italy. He sees a dominant rival to him, sends Berthier down. He goes down in 1797, but pulls back. Fight, well, another general goes down in 1797, but Berthier comes down in 1798, takes the Pope captive. He goes up to Valencia in France, and um, he dies there in captivity. So it's a direct fulfillment of this prophecy, exactly at the end of the 1260 years, exactly as the Bible says, exactly in the way that he says the deadly wound takes place. Interestingly enough, in 1928, Mussolini gives civil and religious authority back to the Pope, and uh, in the San Francisco Chronicle, it says, deadly wound is healed. So these prophecies, prophecy does not guess, it knows. They've been fulfilled exactly. And so we're seeing evidence after evidence after evidence that the identification that 
that we have been studying here uh, over the last couple of weeks. In fact, the identification that many Protestant scholars over the years have made is, is accurate. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some fanciful ideas of, like you said, political and business leaders today uh, fulfilling these, but um, you can't fit everything in, in those individuals. Uh, any other thoughts on this before we go to break? I do. I have one thought on it, and it, it is this. Um, if you look at the reformers, you look at Martin Luther, for example, he saw in the Antichrist, in the little horn power, in the beast power, he saw the papacy. You look at the Protestant, great Protestant reformers, uh, John Wycliffe, Huss, Jerome, all of these men saw in these prophecies the prediction of the rise of the papacy that would substitute tradition for truth, substitute the commandments of men for the commandments of God. Again, this is not speaking about individuals, but we're looking at a system. This is not some Johnny-come-lately, pull-a-rabbit-out-of-a-hat you know, uh, trick. Not at all. It is rather the clear historical chain of truth outlined in Scripture. One more powerful evidence that we can indeed believe the Bible. I want to encourage you, as you're studying the Bible and getting to know it better, make sure that you pick up the companion book to this quarter's lesson. It is called Three Cosmic Messages by Pastor Mark Finley, and you will find it at itiswritten.shop. It goes into more detail on the subject that we're looking at today, as well as many other subjects that we have covered. Itiswritten.shop, Three Cosmic Messages by Pastor Mark Finley. In just a moment, we will come back, and we're going to be looking at... you know. The, the one that gets all the, the flash and the fanfare is the mark of the beast. The one that often gets overlooked is the contrast to the mark of the beast, and that is the seal of God. And we're going to be delving into that in just a moment. We'll see you back momentarily. There's nothing like a great dad. Great dads influence their children, protect and grow their families, and contribute to society. But the truth is... Not every dad is a great dad. There are plenty of average dads. And, sad but true, there's no shortage of bad dads. Bad dads are found all through the Bible, God preserving their stories so we can avoid making the same mistakes they made. Don't miss Bad Dads and What They Teach Us. Learn from the failings of some of the most illustrious people in biblical history. People who managed to make a mess of parenting. There's hope for every parent who doesn't always get it right. And that's because the best dad of all wants to see parents be all that they can be. Bad Dads and What They Teach Us. Brought to you by It Is Written TV. You know that at It Is Written, we are serious about studying the Word of God. And we encourage you to be serious as well. Well, here's what you do if you want to dig deeper into God's Word. Go to itiswritten.study for the It Is Written Bible Study Guides online. 25 in-depth Bible studies that will take you through the major teachings of the Bible. You'll be blessed, and it's something you'll want to tell others about as well. itiswritten.study. Go further. itiswritten.study. Welcome back to Sabbath School, brought to you by It Is Written. We are looking at a fascinating subject this week. That is the seal of God and the mark of the beast. Pastor Mark, we kind of, we left off on asking, what is the seal of God? 
First of all, where do we read about the seal of God in in the book of Revelation? Where do we find it? We find it in Revelation chapter 7, verses 1 to 3, where it says, After these things I saw four angels standing on the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth. Now, wind is a symbol of destruction. The four corners of the earth, the, the four points of the compass, north, south, east, west, that the wind, that is the wind of destruction through the seven last plagues, should not blow on the earth, on the sea, or in any tree. Then I saw another angel from the east having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea, saying, Do not harm the earth, the sea, or the trees till we've sealed the servants of God in their foreheads. So we find that concept of the seal of God in the light of the coming of Christ, just before the seven last plagues, here in Revelation chapter 7. We find the seal of God in contrast to the mark of the beast. So, if it's going to play a role shortly before the seven last plagues, shortly before Jesus comes back, that would indicate that it's going to be playing a significant role very, very soon. Exactly. In fact, in these messages of the three angels, That's why God has given this urgent message to mankind. And we read in Revelation 14, could you read verse 7, then verse 9, and then verse 12? Verse 7 says, Saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. Verse 9 says, Then a third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast in his image and receives his mark on his forehead or in his hand, verse 10 talks about what's going to happen to them. And then verse number 12 says, Here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Notice the contrasts. Worship the Creator, verse 7. Don't worship the beast, verse 9. And then keep the commandments of God. So the final conflict regarding the mark of the beast, and the seal of God, is over worship. This final conflict focuses on worshiping the Creator and worshiping the beast. So worshiping the Creator must be in total harmony with the commandments. So what commandment has to do with worshiping the Creator? The Sabbath. So the question becomes then, is the Sabbath the seal, the visible symbol of the seal of God? Mm. See, if somebody asks me, what is the seal of God? It is a settling into God's truth, spiritually and intellectually, so you can never be moved. But the visible manifestation of that settling into God's truth at a time when an economic boycott is passed and a death decree is passed, the visible manifestation of the inner commitment is the external keeping of the Sabbath. So do we find the seal of God in the Sabbath commandment? Well, let's go back and look at Exodus chapter 20. And I'll talk a little bit about ancient seals. What was an ancient seal used for? An ancient seal authenticated a legal document. So if there was a legal document in ancient times, they would have a seal. Many thousands of seals were, have been discovered by the archaeologists. These seals would uh, have the name of the sealer, typically some of them would, or the symbol of the sealer. 
They would have the title of the sealer. They would have the territory. But there would be something that indicated name, title, and, and territory of the sealer. They, they often wouldn't have the exact name, but the, the seal would indicate the authority, the one who has the authority to make that seal. The key thing about a seal is that they authenticate a legal document and they have to declare who is the one who has the authority to authenticate that document. The Ten Commandments were written by God on tables of stone with his own finger. Has he authenticated that document and how has he? Well, let's look at Exodus chapter 20 and um, why don't you read just write down 8 through 11. Okay. Verse 8 says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, you nor your son nor your daughter nor your male servant nor your female servant nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Now let's look at that carefully. It says, remember the Sabbath day. God said, remember, but human beings have forgotten. He wrote these commandments with his own finger on tables of stone. He says, six days you shall labor, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. There's his name. He's the Lord your God. Then it goes on to say about doing no work therein. And he says, for in six days, verse 11, the Lord made heavens and earth, the sea and all that in them is. The Lord made. He's a maker or creator. That's his title. He's the maker And here's his domain, heaven, earth, sea, and all that in them is. He rested the Sabbath, the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. In the Sabbath commandment, you have the name of God, the Lord my God. You have the title, his creator, and you have his domain, heaven, earth, and sea. So the Sabbath commandment contains the seal of God. Just like in the days of Daniel, when Nebuchadnezzar built the golden image, that the second commandment was a test question. It revealed an inner faith, just like the first commandment in the days of Daniel when he was threatened not to pray to any god except the king Darius, and he went into the lion's den. Just like Daniel himself had that faith the second commandment was a visible external manifestation of that inner faith. The Sabbath commandment, worshiping the Creator at the climax of verse history, is a visible manifestation of genuine, authentic faith in God. And keeping the Sabbath is not a legalistic form of salvation, but it is a revelation of the faith of Christ at a time of crisis. Now, if the seal of God indeed is the Sabbath, and if there's a test over the law of God, how might we look at this conflict between the seal of God and the mark of the beast? So it seems that the mark of the beast would have to stand in contrast to it. It if, would. If the manifestation of, of settling into the truth for God is, is the recognition and the practice of keeping the Sabbath, then the flip side would have to, to be the mark of the beast. Exactly. You know, here, there's a couple things that I think, couple statements that are quite critical. Um, if you look, for example, on page 100 of the Quarterly, there's a statement from the book Great Controversy, 
page 592. Is that one that you have you could read? It is. It says, Those who honor the Bible Sabbath will be denounced as enemies of law and order, as breaking down the moral restraints of society, causing anarchy and corruption, and calling down the judgments of God upon the earth. Their conscientious scruples will be pronounced obstinacy, stubbornness, and contempt of authority. They will be accused of disaffection toward the government. That's a pretty serious statement. Mm. Now, how does that play into the mark of the beast and what might the mark of the beast is? Why are they being uh, claimed uh, as enemies of law and order? Could it be that the opposite of Sabbath worship is sun worship coming back into the church, like in the days of Constantine? Could it be that the mark of the beast is the mark of the papal power uniting with the state and the economic leaders at a time of crisis to initiate laws to worship on Sunday at a time the world's falling apart? In the American Catholic Quarterly Review, January 1883, I'm reading a statement that says, of course, the Catholic Church claims that the change, that's the change of the Sabbath, was her act, and the act is a mark of her ecclesiastical power and authority in religious matters. So the Church says that the change of the Sabbath from Saturday to Sunday is a mark of her ecclesiastical authority. Well, if you change the law of God written with God's own finger on tables of stone, you must have an authority greater than God. Nobody does that has an authority greater than God. He is the highest authority. There are those that say it's impossible, for example, that um, Sunday would ever become a common day of rest and worship. It's very interesting. On June 6, 2012, and I've listed this in the quarterly, Pope Benedict XVI made an urgent appeal to more than 15,000 people gathered at St. Peter's Square in Rome. And he said Sunday must be a day of rest for everyone. And he goes on to say by defending Sunday, one defends human freedom. Now, this isn't, of course, calling for Sunday legislation, but what it is saying is that it's, it's preparing the way for that. It's saying, look, Sunday is a day for, for workers to rest. It's a day for social opportunity with our family. It's a day for shops to be closed. The mind is being conditioned to accept this Sunday in the future. In fact, in Europe, there is a movement right now, today, uh, in some places in Europe, there's a movement to have Sunday as a day of rest for laborers, not so much a worship day because Europe is quite secular. But you can see at a time of crisis, at a time of earthquake, famine, fire, flood, war, threat of nuclear war, it might be possible for these prophecies to be fulfilled. I think it's highly likely that they could. Yeah, I think we're getting closer and closer to that. And if you're paying attention to what's happening in the world around you, and I hope that you are, and if you're paying attention to what the Bible says is happening right now and will be happening in the near future, you're aware of some of the things that are shortly going to come to pass on this uh, earth. And it has been very interesting to look at what's happening in the news, especially in Europe, with some of these things. But God has not left us to be ignorant of what's happening. He gives us plenty of opportunity to know what's going on and to prepare for what's going on. It's not just... A matter of a day. It's a matter of something much deeper, and that's of heart and loyalty. And what God is doing today is he's calling people to trust him, to believe in him, to have faith in him, and to walk forward in the truth that he has shown them. And my hope and prayer 
is that God is encouraging you to do the very same thing. Pastor Mark, thank you for joining us again this week. And thank you for joining us. Next week, we will get together again for our final time this quarter as we pull together the last thoughts on three cosmic messages. God bless you, and we'll see you next week. Thank you.